You know, as I was preparing for this morning's sermon over the last couple of weeks, I um, couldn't help but notice the events in the world that were going on around us. And uh, probably like you, uh, I couldn't help but follow some of those events, historic events, as the, the, uh, the leader of the, the uh, Church of Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, made his journey to America to lay out his priorities and his burdens before the American people. Now, being an aviation buff, I couldn't help but be interested in the aviation side of things, you see. And um, I learned that the Pope doesn't have his own airplane like um, the president does. Um, he has no Air Force One, but he has a, uh, a, a, a when he travels, he uh, arranges or leases an aircraft. And he arrived at Andrews Air Force Base on an Alitalia plane. And the, this uh, flight that the Pope is on is referred to as... Uh, uh, Shepherd One, not Air Force One, but Shepherd One. That's the reference that uh, this plane is referred to by. Now, once he was in America, he no longer had his Italian pilots with him. An American Airlines 777 was uh, leased for this purpose. And um, I couldn't help but follow. Uh, once or twice, I looked online to see where this plane was. November 776 Alpha November was its call sign. And uh, we could follow it as it went from Dallas up to Andrews Air Force Base to pick him up, and then from Andrews Air Force Base it went up to Philadelphia, and then from Philadelphia back over to Rome, and it took him back home. Now, <clears throat> this, this image, the, the optics of the world uh, being so in, enamored by what was happening in Rome, was, uh, in Washington, was hard to miss. Um, it was hard to miss. But I have a, a personal conviction. You won't hear me hear, preach a lot of sermons on, on these type of topics because I really believe, I really believe that what God is waiting for in the second coming is not so much what happens in Rome or Washington, but what happens in our hearts. I am a firm believer that the second coming is not being held hostage by Rome or Washington. In fact, it's being delayed by God's people. The Bible tells us in, in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation is travailing and groaning together until now, and it says it's waiting for a manifestation of the sons of God. It's waiting for the real character of Christ to be revealed. You see, my focus needs to be not on the quote-unquote Holy Father, but on the Heavenly Father. My focus needs to be not on the man of sin, but on the Son of Man, not on shepherd one, but on the one shepherd. And that's the focus that we're going to have today. We want to look at Jesus' words when He says, I am the good shepherd. He is not an imposter. He is not the counterfeit. He is not the one trying to sub subvert the glory that belongs to God and take it to Himself. Jesus is the real thing. He says, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10 is our passage to start with here today. John chapter 10, and before we begin, I just invite you to bow your heads for an additional word of prayer. Father in heaven, today we thank you that we have the opportunity to open your word. We thank you that we serve a God who is alive and well and has sent his representative here on this earth, the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that he wants to speak to each one of us personally and directly 
that we can talk to you and that we can receive forgiveness of sins and salvation directly from our Savior, from the throne of grace, from our high priest. And today, Lord, as we open your word, we just want to pray that your spirit would teach us and guide us. We ask all this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 10, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I have some of the passage here on the, on the screen. And John chapter 10, Jesus is, is giving his uh, discourse about his relationship with his people. And uh, what, a, what a powerful passage this is. You know, some of the messages that we have, the, the longest sermons that we have in, in Matthew 5 through 7, Matthew 24 and 25, they're very power-packed and, and full of meaning. John chapter 10 may not be as long as these messages, but they're ju- it's just as full of, of uh, nutrition for us as we, as we study it and as we eat it together. Now, Jesus says... He's describing himself in a number of ways here in John chapter 10. He describes himself not as the imposter, not as the one who is trying to steal the sheep from the fold, but as a true shepherd. And he says there's a a way to know who's the true shepherd and who's not. The Bible says in John chapter 10 in the first few verses, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. You see, there's, there's evidently, there's evidently, there's something that you must do in order to be the shepherd, the true shepherd. There, there's some qualifications or prerequisites that must happen. And I believe that we're going to see here as we read the passage, we're going to read the passage, you're going to find out how it is that Jesus is the real shepherd and other people who claim to be the shepherd are counterfeits. He says here, and he says it twice, He says, I am the good shepherd, and he follows that up in two different instances in John chapter 10. He follows that up with the phrase, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, or something along those lines. In other words, Jesus has a right to enter the sheepfold because he's the real shepherd, and he's the one who has laid down his life for the sheep. Are you following? Now, the, the thief and the robber, the one who doesn't come through the door, who has to come up by some nefarious means... That thief and robber is not willing to lay down his life for the sheep, and he certainly hasn't laid down his life for the sheep. He's there to get what he can get from the sheep. He's there to take what he can from the sheep. The true shepherd is there to give to the sheep. So he has this discourse about the true shepherd versus an imposter, the voice of a stranger versus the the voice of a shepherd. And Jesus says in verse 7, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. And then we come to today's passage. And it says this here in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You see, my friends, there's something that we have to learn here from this passage. And I want to, we're going to be looking at this passage and, and some other passages as well. And we're going to try to see what we can learn about Jesus from this passage. Jesus is the true shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the one that, um, he says, lays down his life for the sheep. Now, if we just start noticing the things that we learn here in this passage, we notice that the first characteristic of the good shepherd is that he gives his life 
for the sheep. You know, I have to sort of wonder, Dewey, if uh, Cap, Cappy, Cappy was a sheepdog. You know, sheepdogs just have this instinct in them um, of, of course, I think all dogs do. But um, I remember I've had a couple of sheepdogs, and sheepdogs, they have this instinct of protection, right? They're the they're protectors. Uh, maybe they learn that from watching the shepherds. Maybe they learn that. I remember I was in the the hillsides of Italy one time, climbing in some of the Italian mountains and near the Waldensian valleys, and I came across a flock of sheep. There was no shepherd to be found, but there was a sheepdog there. And that sheepdog was watching over that flock of sheep. And let me tell you, I wasn't getting anywhere near any of those sheep. Um, that sheepdog, I think, is mirroring the dedication that he's seen in the life of the shepherd. And... Um, I found myself after the children's story wondering what happened to Cappy. I assume he escaped the train as well. Yes, he did. Okay. I just had to put that to rest. I was worried about, worrying about that. Uh, so the, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The good shepherd is not there to see the sheep just as assets, to be, to be, to be his livelihood. The good shepherd cares about what happens to each and every one. Of his sheep. Now, the story is told here in the Bible of not just this passage of the, of the good shepherd, but the story is told of the, the shepherd who had 90 and 9 in the fold. Do you remember that parable? He had 99 safe in the fold, and there was one missing. One missing. Now, one sheep out of 99, what is that? It's only 1%. It's a small fraction. I mean, sheep multiply, don't they? They often have two uh, lambs a season. And a good shepherd knows that his flock is going to continue growing, but that one sheep was of such value in the parable, such value that the good shepherd left the fold and he went looking for that one lost sheep. I I want you to know, friend of mine today, that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, you, va- you are of immense value to the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd cares about your life. Oh, it may just, you may just be a, a, a lamb, an insignificant lamb lost on the mountainside, but the heart of God is not complete until He's found that lost missing sheep. He cares about you. He cares about what you're going through. He cares about each one so individually so much that he's willing to give his life for the sheep. This is not any ordinary shepherd. This is the good shepherd we're talking about here. We notice not only is Jesus the good shepherd, but he's also, um, we, we continue on and we see that he, he gives his life for the sheep and um, He's near in times of crisis and danger. Here in John chapter 10, in verse, uh, verse 12, it says, But a hireling who is not of the shepherd, not the shepherd, who, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. What do you need a shepherd for in good times? What do you need a shepherd for when there's no danger? By definition... A good shepherd is there in times of crisis and in times of need. That is what Jesus is defining makes a good shepherd. 
He says, I am the good shepherd, and and you can count on this one thing, that in times of crisis, in times of need, in times of danger, in times of questions, in times of uncertainty, the good shepherd is there. He's there to help. He's there to rescue. He's there to save. He's there to comfort. The Bible says in verse 13, the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. The inference is very strong. The good shepherd cares about the sheep. He's contrasting the difference between a good shepherd and a hireling, someone who's just filling the role of a shepherd. Oh, it's easy when times are going well, but let that time of danger come, and the good shepherd is what we want. The good shepherd is what we need. And thankfully, the good shepherd is what Jesus is. I am the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep, for each one, everyone, every single one is that important to me. I care and I'm there in times of crisis, in times of danger. The Bible says that the good shepherd does not abandon his own, but the good shepherd is there when we need him. The passage continues here in John chapter 10, and he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. Uh, I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Do you understand that it's a little odd here, isn't it, that Jesus is being redundant? Do you find it, if Jesus was just, if Jesus was just writing this, you might think, well, we already read, I am the good shepherd. Well, I already read that, that he gives his life for the sheep. But Jesus here is speaking to a multitude of people, and they're trying to have it sink into their consciousness, right? They're trying to understand what Jesus is meaning. And Jesus repeats himself. I find it interesting. I wish I could hear Jesus preach. Don't you? Don't you wish Jesus would just be here today and just be able to, to tell us, what's on his heart in person. Um, I think Jesus was an excellent communicator. Jesus realized when people heard and understood. And I can only imagine as Jesus is scanning his audience, as he's speaking there about the sheep and the shepherd, and, and maybe, there's, there's, maybe there's something going on, you know, maybe, maybe one of the kids started talking really loud, or maybe a baby started crying, or maybe he just saw someone sort of glassing over and getting distracted. You know, sometimes people, um, back then, they got sleepy when they were listening to someone talk for a long time. And uh, I can just sort of imagine Jesus realizing that somebody missed just one little thing that he said, and it was so important, he would say it again just for them. I am the good shepherd. Maybe they missed that part. He's going to go back again. You're thinking about what a good shepherd is versus the hireling? Let me remind you, I'm talking about I am the good shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And he says here, I lay down my life for the sheep. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. What can we learn from this passage? First of all, we notice that Jesus knows his sheep. You see that? It's not as though Jesus just came categorically, universally to die for planet earth. Yes, I do believe he, he, he tasted death for every man. I do believe that God, that God himself uh, paid the ransom for our souls, all of us. 
Um, Paul pleads to his readers that we receive not the grace of God in vain. In other words, everyone has been a recipient to, to some degree of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. But I want you to know Jesus did not just die for the earth, the world, the human race. Jesus died for you, and He died for me. He says here, the, the she good shepherd knows he may have a hundred sheep in his fold, but he knows them individually. Anyone who's grown up with animals or been around animals, you know that each animal has its own personality, its own characteristics, its own mannerisms. Now, I don't know about, you know, I've never had a lot of pet mice or those type of animals, but I know when it comes to dogs and cats and, and goats and horses and even chickens, they have personality. They have their own way of doing things, their own way of relating to people and in their lives, and they, they each are unique. And we as human beings, Jesus says, look, I know, I know when a sparrow falls, and you, human beings, we human beings, we're of much greater value than many sparrows. Jesus knows each of us individually. Oh, sometimes I just need to be reminded that Jesus knows me. It's not just about, uh, uh, you know, an ID in heaven, my record books or something. No, I am an individual. You are an individual. And the Bible says here, Jesus says here, I know my sheep and they know me. I know my sheep and they know me. Uh, the good shepherd knows and is known. He repeats himself here when he says he lays down his life for the sheep. The sheep care, the shepherd cares about the sheep. A few weeks ago we read the verse in Romans chapter 8 and where it says, um, if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? And then it goes on to say, listen, for if God spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? The implication is very strong. The message is very clear. If Jesus is willing to go to Calvary for you and for me, if he's willing to lay down his life for the sheep, if God so loved the world that he was willing to give his only begotten son, if all of those things are true, then we should know one thing for certain. He has a vested interest in us. He's not going to stop at any other blessing he will give to us. He has given his life for the sheep. He's invested in us. He cares about us. He knows, he knows us individually. We see further in this passage an amazing truth, and I, this is something that I cannot wrap my mind around, but it says here in John chapter 10, it says right here in black and white, I think it's in your Bible too, and it's in verse 17, John chapter 10 and verse 17. If you want something to just take home from church and to try to dwell upon and to, to, to ruminate over and just to try, to try to get your mind to grasp it, this is what Jesus said. Therefore, my Father loves me. Now, therefore, we have to ask the word what? We have to ask the question when we see the word therefore. What is it therefore, right? It's a connecting word. It's sort of like a conjunction. So when we see the word therefore, we have to ask, what's it there for? What's it, what is going before it? What's, what's the preceding thought that Jesus was giving? Jesus says, um, uh, uh, I am the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. I have other sheep I'm going to bring. They should be one fold and one shepherd. And he says, therefore, my father loves me because, he says, I lay down my life that I may take it again. 
because tells us a cause and effect relationship. The cause and effect relationship in this verse teaches us one amazing fact. This fact states, it tells us that, of course, God loved Jesus already. But God loved Jesus even more because he was willing to die for you and for me. Think about that for a little while. Usually, I think about it this way. Usually, this is my train of thought. I usually think something like this. I must be very valuable to God the Father because, after all, His Son was given for me. So now I must be very valuable. Now, is that wrong? I, don't think, I think that's true. I think, that, I think that God must love me and I must be valuable uh, because the Father uh, gave His Son to die for me. But this is, I think, what Jesus is trying to say, if, if I can try to explain it in, in as short words as possible. I think Jesus is trying to say, look, the Father loves you so much that when I chose to give my life for you, He came to love me even more. Not the other way around. It's not, you know, the Father really loves you because I gave my life for you. It's the Father loves you so much that when I chose to be the one, to be uh, the willing sacrifice, to come as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, when I made that decision, my Father loves me even more. Now that tells me how much the Father loves me. He loves me so much that Jesus is endeared to him because he was willing to be my sacrifice and to die in my place. What an amazing, amazing God we have. Do you think He loves us? I believe He does. Another passage that's well known about the Good Shepherd. Um, David is describing the Lord as the Good Shepherd. And he says in Psalm chapter 23 and verses 1 through 3, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So what are the qualities, the qualifications, the characteristics of the Good Shepherd according to Psalm 23? Psalm 23 is, is describing that same shepherd that uh, Jesus is describing. And when He says, I am the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd gives His life for His sheep. Notice we see here in Psalm 23 that the Good Shepherd provides for my needs. You know, sometimes we go through stages in life where we have different needs. When we're a baby, we need our parents very much to care for our needs, right? Um, physical needs. Um, when we are uh, perhaps, you know, leaving home and in school or maybe just out on our own, we have, we have certain needs, right? And all along the way, the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I won't lack anything that I need. That's an amazing promise. David said, I've been old and I've been young, but I've not seen the righteous lacking or his seed begging bread, right? God provides for our needs. How does he do it? I don't know. 
He has a thousand ways we haven't even thought of yet. He provides in ways that we don't expect. We tend to be, on the other hand, very self-sufficient, and we want not only to have our needs provided ahead of time, but also our wants. So we get worried if we don't have all of the things that we need ahead of time provided for us, but somehow there's peace and rest in just recognizing the truth that the Lord as our shepherd will provide for all of our needs. He'll, he will. I shall not want. David expresses this confidence. The Lord is my shepherd. I won't lack anything that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me be- beside the still waters. David knew about being a shepherd, didn't he? David knew what the role of a shepherd was. David knew that a shepherd needed to lead his sheep to where there was good food to eat. He needed to eat, lead his sheep away from the poisonous uh, plants that could, have, could be a danger to them. He needed to perhaps dam up a, a stream to make a calm pool so that the sheep could drink out of. David knew all those things because David had been the shepherd. And during this time in his life, as he's reflecting on his relationship with God, David realizes the Lord is the true shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And all the things that I used to do for the sheep, he does for me. I hope that each of us can say that, the Lord is my shepherd. Because if we can say, the Lord is my shepherd, we can also say, I shall not want. I shall not want. He says, and he goes on here, that um, he says uh, in, in chapter 23 and verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now this restores my soul. Do you wonder sometimes what that means? I mean, restoration means bringing it back to a previous state, right? It means, it means uh, to, to uh, repair or to, to return to a previous condition. And when, G, when, when David says he restores my soul, I have to wonder if he didn't look back on his life and say, you know, there are times in my life where I made bad decisions, but the the Lord is my good shepherd. He's my true shepherd. He restores my soul. He brings me back to the condition He would want me to be in. I want you to look in your Bibles. Keep your fingers here in in Psalm 23, but I want you to look in Joel chapter 2. When I think of restoration, I think of this verse, Joel chapter 2 and verse 25. It's a a powerful verse. Uh, Joel itself is an amazing story. It's It's sort of like a parable. There's a lot of symbolism in Joel. Um, Joel's a minor prophet, but he doesn't have a minor message. He talks about how, how God's people are being destroyed by these... He, he uses the, the, uh, the, the pests, the locusts, and the worms, and the droughts, and all of these things that are destroying the productivity in God's people. And uh, as we read it today, we read these things as symbolic of the spiritual curses, the pests that rob us of our life. And, but there's a tremendous promise in Joel chapter 2, after talking about how the people of God are so vanquished by these pests that are allowed to come upon them, if they'll just turn, if they'll just turn to God, He will do a work in their lives, an amazing work of restoration. In Joel chapter 2 and verse 25, it says, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You see, God is saying, look, I, I allowed hard times and difficulties to come into your life when you were wandering away from me so that you would turn to me, but I've got a plan. I'm going to restore you. 
I'm going to restore to you the years that were wasted. I'm going to restore to you the damage that was done. Is that good news or what? That's a precious promise that God is a God of restoration. And He says here in verse 3 of Psalm 23, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Do you ever wonder how to live your life? Does it seem hard? The Lord, as the Good Shepherd, promises to direct our footsteps into righteous living. That's a promise that you and I can claim, a promise that you and I can know is ours. But Psalm 23 continues, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and they, or your staff, they comfort me. We see here in this passage that, that the Good Shepherd removes fear from our heart. Aren't you thankful for the Good Shepherd? Oh, we don't know about the future, but He does. He's never caught by surprise. And He says, uh, uh, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. There's one thing that proverbially is true of all of us that we can't avoid, and that's death and taxes, right? But the reality is, each of us are going to face those times of crisis, those times that are referred to here as the, the valley of the shadow of death. Every single one of us, if Jesus doesn't come, is going to have that experience. And the Good Shepherd, he says, he's with me. We don't need to fear during those times. We see that the rod and the staff, sometimes thought of as to, uh, tools of punishment, right? David says they comfort me. I appreciate them. I think I think there's several things we can learn about the Good Shepherd from this. I think that, one, we can learn that the Good Shepherd, we don't have to worry about things like the judgment when, we're, when we have the Good Shepherd, do we? Some people think, oh, the judgment, we're living in the judgment, and I believe we are living in the hour of judgment. I think it's a serious time to be alive, but I don't think we need to be afraid because we have a Good Shepherd. And His rod and His staff, they're not meant for our pain, they're meant for our protection. We also sometimes remember that those who I love, I rebuke and chasten, right? And God sometimes allows those difficulties, we might consider it the outcome of His rod and His staff, but He allows those difficulties, trials, even painful experiences to come into our lives because He wants to bring greater good out of them. I'll tell you one thing. I want, to be, I want to be saved in His eternal kingdom. And even if it means by some chastening that He knows is profitable for me, I want that experience. The rod and the staff, David says, they comfort me. He goes on in verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Who, anoint, who prepares a table before me? You know, just recently I had an experience where I was involved with uh, an individual, not a member of this church, but an individual who was falsely accused of, um, of, uh, of, of, of great wrongdoing. And um, because of his, this, this individual, the accused involvement in ministry, um, 
it became necessary for a board that I was on to look into the situation and to try to see, were these accusations true? Um, were these reports founded or not? And we, had, uh, and we, we talked to a number of people and uh, came to the conclusion that this were, these accusations were, were without merit, that it was not true that um, his ministry was being attacked. So we went to the individual. We finally talked to the person accused as well. But all, all of a sudden, they wanted to know who the accusers were. Now, hopefully, it was just because they wanted to try to work things out in an amicable fashion. But there was also mention of lawyers and other things, and, and we felt like, you know what, we don't, we don't need to go there. We don't need to go there. And in studying it, actually... It just came to an end this last week. I had a meeting with the individual. And, and um, in studying the, the counsel we've been given, we're told, you know, don't try to, don't try to protect your own reputation. People will say things about you. People will make accusations. But in one place, Ellen White says, it's a, it's a, it's a weak house that needs to be propped up. Do your thing. Live your life and allow your own life to take care of any accusations that have come. Um, God will take care of your reputation. And um, here I think this is really what David is talking about. That's the only reason I bring it up, because I really think that's, what going, that's what's going through David's mind. I mean, David had made mistakes, make no, make no doubt about it. You know, I'm thankful. I've made mistakes too. Are you thankful God forgives our mistakes? I am. David knew that he wasn't faultless. But if you read the Psalms, you also realize that people said things about David that weren't true. People made false accusations. And David's prayer is not, Lord, help me to avenge my enemies. David's prayer is always throughout the Psalms, Lord, you avenge my enemies, right? That's his prayer. And here he says, the good shepherd, the good shepherd takes care of us. When he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, I think what's going through David's head is this. Those people that have been falsely accusing, they're going to know one day that my heart was right. And I was right with God. And God is the one who is going to honor me before the world when I was being accused by those very individuals. Does that make sense? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I think that's what God is, uh, what David is talking about. The good shepherd takes care of our reputation. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Oh, I wish we could spend a, a whole sermon maybe on each part of this passage. But you get the idea. Jesus is the good shepherd. And Jesus is looking after his sheep. Psalm 23 and verse 5, we learn that, God, that David, David, as it says, he removes fear from our hearts. He delivers us from our enemies. He restores our reputation. And in verse 6, we see, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. Forever. I think that's the best part. The best part is that not just that the Lord is my shepherd during these short years of life that we have on planet earth, the best news is the Lord is my shepherd forever. Oh, I'm looking forward to meeting Jesus in person. I don't think he's going to be coming on a chartered plane. 
Although from an aviator's standpoint, I have to say, I wonder what his call sign is. Not Air Force One, not Shepherd One. The second coming, it's going to be Gabriel's trumpet one, I think. And when the clouds part and the, the sky parts and that cloud becomes that hope of all the ages, what Paul called the blessed hope, when, when Jesus comes, you and I will look up and we're going to say, the good shepherd is here. The one who looked after us, the one who cared for us, the one who provided for us, the one who loved us, the one who died for us, the one we belong to. What a day of rejoicing that will be. The Bible says that in Matthew chapter 25 on that day, the Lord is going to say, He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's the shepherd still. He separate, separates the sheep from the goats. And to those on his right hand, the sheep, he says, Come, you blessed of my Father. Enjoy the kingdom prepared for you. Are you thankful that we have a good shepherd? It's not just about life here on this earth, although it's wonderful. It's about eternal life. God wants us to be his sheep. He wants to be our shepherd. He wants, Jesus wants, to be the one who is the King and Lord of our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, today we just thank you that as we've looked the last few weeks at Jesus, different characteristics and descriptions of this wonderful Savior, we're thankful that you are still the Good Shepherd. We're thankful that you gave your life, not, not just for the sheep, not just for the world, you gave your life for me. And you gave your life for every single one. You know them personally, individually. Lord, Whatever we, whatever we may experience, whatever we may be going through, we know that you will be our shepherd throughout all of eternity. And we just pray that we, like David, might have that confidence that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a day of rejoicing that will be. We pray that Jesus might be our shepherd today. In his name we ask it. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.